It's really difficult to find great executives. Spirit Consulting helps organizations find all-star executives and hire the right one using work psychology so you can serve more customers and grow your business. To get a free quote, go to spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast. We're so excited to be able to have our next guest, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us today. So wonderful to be able to connect with you off, offline and really look forward to learning more about you and your, your walk. And uh, yeah, so it's just so excited. That our first question always, Mark, is who are you? Well, thank you very much. And thanks so much for, for having me. It's really an honor to be able to be part of this this process. So, um, so I am. Uh, my name is Mark Kotler, and I'm a senior vice president for fund development for the Sisters of Charity Health System here in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, that health system really encompasses. Most people think of health systems as hospitals exclusively, but our health system really is unique in that we are we have a hospital, St. Vincent Charity, here in Cleveland, but we also have a number of other ministries here in Cleveland and Canton and South Carolina. Uh, we have two uh, elder care facilities, Light of Hearts Villa and Regina Health Center uh, here in Cleveland. We have a medical respite facility for men experiencing homelessness called Joseph's Home. Mm -hmm. And we're soon to be opening a, same, a similar facility for women experiencing homelessness called Mary's Home. And those two ministries uh, will be near St. Vincent. And then we have ministries in Canton, the Early Childhood Resource Center, and then two statewide programs down in South Carolina, which is the Center for Fathers and Families, helping men become better fathers in the lives of their children, even if they're not there on a daily basis, but being uh, better uh, fathers for their children. And then Healthy Learners, which is a ministry that provides outreach to children throughout the state, providing medical screenings like vision, hearing, asthma, uh, dental, really uh, necessary services to children that otherwise would not have access to them. And then we have a foundation in Cleveland, a foundation in Canton, and a foundation in South Carolina. So there's a variety of ministries that make up uh, the Sisters of Charity Health System. Hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Joseph and Mary's home? That's unique. Haven't really heard a lot about health systems addressing poverty and homelessness. Sure, sure. So it really is very much part and parcel of who the Sisters of Charity have been. So the Sisters of Charity have been here in Cleveland uh, since 1851, actually. Um, and the, the hospital, St. Vincent, was here, it was established in 1865. So really for 170 years, these sisters have been amazing in terms of addressing the unmet needs in the community. And in many cases, it's been tied to healthcare, but they are constantly looking and seeing what the needs are and uh, finding ways to address it. And Joseph's Home and soon to be Mary's Home really are prime examples of that. They basically saw something that I think every hospital system in the country sees, and that is when somebody who is experiencing homelessness comes to their door, they will treat them. Every hospital will do that. But what they don't have a solution for is what do you do once that person is no longer in need of acute care and so can no longer be in the hospital, but clearly needs something beyond being put back out on the street or being put into a shelter. And up until now, up until about 20 years ago, that was the solution. That was all they could do. And so it became a revolving door of, of these uh, men 
who, again, experiencing homelessness would be back on the street. And you can imagine after you got discharged from the hospital, while you wouldn't have a need to be in the hospital, if you weren't able to convalesce and really have medical respite, uh, you were soon to find yourself back in the hospital. And so these would be frequent flyers coming back into the hospital with the hospital really having no way to deal with that because traditionally hospitals are concerned about those that are within their walls and that need care there. And it was up to somebody else to figure out what to do beyond that point. Well, the sisters did not see that as a viable solution. And so literally established uh, this facility called Joseph's Home. And it was basically a facility that allowed these men to go and convalesce and have medical respite while at the same time providing them with services that try to address what was causing them to be homeless and really working to both bring them back to physical health and spiritual health and mental health and really working to make them be again self-sustaining members in society and the success stories are just phenomenal when you have these men that have been cast aside and maybe taken care of in a hospital but really beyond that, not having much uh, of, a, of a concern of their life beyond that point and having them come to Joseph's home and be able to experience the love and care that comes with that facility and the wraparound services that they're able to provide to them. So it really is wonderful. And it was always part of the vision to do that, to have that service now for women. And we're really excited to be able to, to be opening that facility later this year uh, and the way the community has responded. Because again, when you're looking to fundraise, which is what we do, you clearly aren't going to be fundraising from the individuals experiencing care, which again, in a hospital is largely what the fundraising done, is done by. It's done through the actual engagement of those grateful patients. Well, if you're building a medical respite facility for men experiencing homelessness, you're really relying on the broader community to, to see that as a, as a, as a need and, and step forward and, and address it. And so they did it with Joseph's home. And with Mary's home, we were looking to do a campaign and we were told that we could probably raise about $350,000 towards the goal. And we're now looking at $1.2 million to a $1.3 million goal. So it's been really just extraordinary. And I get my hat off to Maddie Wallace, who's the director of development overseeing that project and how she's engaged the community and put together a volunteer leadership group that's really responded to that. So it's just, that's one example within the Sisters of Charity that's just an extraordinary story, an extraordinary ministry. And, and these sisters, I tell you, Chris, they were really uh, very humble in terms of how they went about doing what they've done. And they weren't about telling their story because they didn't see that that was necessary. But when people hear their story, the first thing they'll say is, this is the best kept secret that's out there. Because um, we live in a community, Cleveland has got great healthcare. It's got a wonderful Cleveland clinic. It's got other providers. And we are certainly a smaller entity within this this larger community but again the work that's being done and the impact it's being it's having is really extraordinary awesome well thank you for sharing that's that's incredible um and thank you for the work that you're doing as well um yeah i'm sure that it, it blesses many people in your community and and blesses you as well to be you know be a part of all the dynamic care that you're offering as well as part of the organization. So Mark, how did you get to this leadership position as the senior vice president? So again, I think everyone in a leadership role can chart a rather circuitous route they take to get to where they're at. Um, my path, no less circuitous, I guess I'd say. Um, you know, I was, I began my life post-college. I was going to, I was in a seminary. So I was 
at one point contemplating priesthood. And then after teaching high school for a couple of years, I did go to grad school with the intention of going into moral theology, medical ethics, and really practicing uh, specifically the, being a medical ethicist in a, in a healthcare setting and teaching in a college level. And while I was at Marquette in graduate school, I started working in healthcare and started working in healthcare fundraising. Uh, it goes back to May of 91. So we're about 30 years and some months uh, since I began this process. And really from that point began to follow a path in, in fundraising that I really found fulfilling and began just as a researcher and then moved into more frontline fundraising roles. And, and I was really blessed to be able to go to some wonderful organizations and have some great mentors. So I was at Children's Hospital in Wisconsin because I was in Milwaukee for grad school. Then I went to Children's Hospital Boston, then the University of Hospitals here in Cleveland, and then SUMA, and then finally now with the Sisters. And I'll just say one thing real quick. I'm very blessed to be with the Sisters of Charity because these sisters, as I was saying a few minutes ago about this being unmet needs, I can truly say this is a homecoming for me that was 57 years in the making because I was born at St. Anne's Hospital to an unwed mother. I don't know who it was, um, but it was put up for adoption and taken care of by these sisters at a facility that they had called DePaul Home um, for the first eight months of my life and was adopted through Catholic Charities and was adopted by a wonderful family that took care of me. And I did truly are my, my mom and dad and sister. Um, my sister also adopted. Um, but uh, the fact of the matter is that they were there for me literally from the time I was born and, and gave me my start in life. And so to have the opportunity now to be in this role as senior vice president for fund development with these sisters is, is extraordinary. But I was able to, to have people give me opportunities um, that again, took some chances on me in a, in a fundraising uh, capacity because I didn't have a track record of fundraising when I was put into my first fundraising position. And so I had some wonderful mentors and I'll talk a bit about that in a moment when we talk about uh, virtues and vices um, that really helped me in, in that path. So I was able to learn and have great mentors and take on additional responsibility and was recruited from Milwaukee to Boston and from Boston back to Cleveland and really had an opportunity to, to prove myself, but given uh, great mentors in my career. Wow. You did. Yeah. I, I, you just totally caught me by surprise there, Mark. When we, you know, had the prep call, I don't remember, you know, it's been a little bit back, but I don't remember you sharing about that. So thank you for your vulnerability to be able to share that. And what came to mind was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie hook, but in it, in the beginning part, Robin Williams is giving like a speech for Wendy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he talks about like how, you know, he himself was an orphan and how she brought him into the home. And, and basically like, you know, he then goes on to say like, you know, it's not just me, but there's many people whose lives you've impacted and you just see like it scans out. And then there's like so many men that uh, stand up that yep. she had, you know, done that for. And, and uh, so, you know, it always brings a tear to your, to your eye to see people that like just are so willing to love others and, and respect that dignity of life to be able to do that. And yeah. that's just a movie. This is yeah, someone, exactly. this is you yourself have actually lived I've through it. it. And these nuns have been able to take you in like that. It's a real life story of people being able to do that. It's and uh, 
Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, uh, in one of our conference rooms in our building is called the St. Anne Conference Room, which was named after the hospital I was born at that eventually became a part of the foundation. Um, that uh, conference room has a mural, a huge blown up photo from probably 1935, 1940 of this playground of children. They're, they're probably three, four, five years old of uh, 20, 25 of them on this playground with four nuns in full habit, full habit with their veils and their entire body covered except for their face, basically playing with these children. And and again, it was a, um, not young, but it was a bit before my time. But just to see, you know, here were these women who made a commitment to God to be, to do his work and to, to, to tend to his flock. And for them, tending to his flock was taking care of these little children, which again, they themselves were, were never parents, but yet they were put in charge of these children that um, at that point didn't didn't have parents to take care of them. And it's just, a, it's a wonderful, so I, I took a photo of it because I just said that picture just sums up, you know, these sisters. Again, that was probably from the 1930s or maybe 1940s that uh, that photo was from, but just really speaks to their their commitment to do what it takes to meet the needs of the community with where they're at. So Mark, growing in holiness means to be growing in wholeness. And um, so I think about like so many people have uh, demonization and anger and hurt in their lives with two parents that's, that have, you know, raised them and due to the trauma of life, basically have various struggles and, you have dealt with an even more difficult set of cards. So I'm just curious as to how you were able to overcome that upbringing. Was there, was there anger and frustration that you had to, to let go of, you know, from being an orphan growing up? I'd say no, primarily because I was so blessed to be adopted by a wonderful couple that truly, you know, we were their children by choice. Uh, and so they, they, I, they were, I can't even speak to them other than being my mother and father. And again, my sister, who's not my biological sister, but was also adopted. Um, we always knew we were adopted. It was always part of our, our language in our house. And so it was never a point where I was sat down and told you were adopted. And so I remember, I tell the story all the time of telling kids in the neighborhood that I was adopted. And it was like telling them I had brown eyes because they would say, no, you weren't. And I would be like, yeah, I was. And I don't know why that's so hard to, to believe but I was just it was just so much like I was I, I was in, enveloped in such an environment of love that I just I, I didn't have I actually had a feeling of respect and admiration to be honest with you for those that had to make a decision that was probably very difficult for them and and this maybe the simpler decision at that time would have been to to have just said well we're just going to have this child and see what happens or you know and, and God knows what would happen. I have no idea, but clearly it was, there was a decision made that um, they weren't able to take care of myself, my, me as a child and, and made a very difficult decision to put me up for adoption. And uh, again, I, that was a difficult decision, I'm sure. Um, and, and I'm, I'm blessed as a result of it. So it's really, um, it's really extraordinary. And I, I, I was born in 64 and, and I'm, I, I, I feel myself very pro-life because I know that that was a time before Roe v. Wade. And so I'm, I feel very blessed that I was, that uh, 
abortion wasn't even an option necessarily legally at that time, but um, but I was put up for adoption, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. So did you ever meet your biological mother? I have not, and I don't really, I respect the privacy that they've chosen in that regard. I know there's now ways that you can navigate that to try to do so. I haven't. Um, the only thing I wanted to potentially do is to obtain whatever medical information that would be relevant, because as we now know, there's a lot of diseases that are hereditary, and so you go to the doctor, and I, in fact, I published an article on this in the Journal of Narrative Bioethics about how do you navigate that um, when you go to the doctor and you get asked questions about your your parents' health and the, and the family history of disease and what have you, and mine is pretty much a blank slate in that regard. So I would like to, if I knew, if, I, if it was the case that my biological father died of colon cancer at age 40 or a heart attack at age 40 and and his brother died of a heart attack at age 45. I, I would like to know that information. So, um, but even that, I have not actively pursued that. But, but in terms of knowing their identity, I, I will share this. I did do the Ancestry.com just to see what my hmm. background was. And it's interesting because I was told, my parents were told that I was half Irish and half Slovak when literally in 1964 when I was adopted. And um, God bless them. They, either my biological father was 100% Irish or 100% Slovak and Slovenian, and same with my uh, my biological mother, because I am literally half Slovak and half Irish, literally when you look at the, at the map. And there are some other people that pop up with some level of relationship to me biologically, um, but no one's popped up as saying this is a good chance of being your mother or father, um, which did happen when we did my daughters. We did their DNA, and they came up and said, these, these two young ladies are your, are your daughters, which... I knew that. Um, but uh, the fact of the matter is there there is other individuals out there on the Ancestry.com that I have some some linkage to, but I have not pursued uh, engaging them. Mark, have you forgiven them? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I Again, I, I am so blessed to be in the family that I was brought, and I believe it was God's will. Um, that so, I was, so, Mark, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm just thinking about like, you know, just, you know, not all of us, you know, not many of us have had to go through the journey that you've gone through, but, you know, especially like in the, in the current business climate, people get furloughed, people get fired. Um, You know, we have parents that, you know, that due to dry alcoholism have all sorts of emotional issues. You know, there's just people have issues, you know, and, uh, and so it's easy to hold that anger and frustration um, in your heart and to be unforgiving. So you have gone through something that most people, you know, don't ever have to go through that level of what could be frustration. That's, you know, poison that people are drinking and expecting other people to die. So just kind of curious as to how you would go through that healing journey to be able to forgive someone like that. Have you been feeling unfulfilled You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. 
That's a good question. I, again, um, you know, that is a really, you know, there's, you know, we all bring whatever baggage we have to our lives and, and to whatever our experiences are and past experiences. And certainly having that, having whatever their past experience be something that feeds into how we respond to, to current situations and current um, uh, environments that we find ourselves. And so I, you know, forgiveness is really an important piece of, of being able to, to you know, live a life of faith and live a life of love and being able to be open to what God's journey is for you going forward. And so, you know, again, I, I, for me personally, in terms of my experience, it really was one of being in a very lo loving environment and, and knowing that, you know, there are people that have experiences that are in their home life and situations with their families that are truly, um, uh, you know, tragic and, and, and sad. And again, while every family has their challenges and we had challenges, I, I've always kind of looked at that experience as one of being blessed. I really, really have. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for, for sharing in that regard. And um, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I, I'm really appreciative of, of your willingness to, to go here on the show today yeah. and to be able to talk about, uh, talk about your journey. So, um, Mark, we talked about kind of like where you're at with, you know, being the senior vice president for fund development for the Sisters of Charity Health System. Can you talk a little bit about the vices that you've had to overcome in order to be able to reach your present leadership capabilities? Sure, sure. Yes, absolutely. And so and you probably have noticed it just even in the conversation we've had now. So I am um, a fast talker. I talk very fast. <laughs> it's just how, how I've always been. In fact, when I was in the seminary, I had a professor who said, Mark, you're going to have the shortest and longest homilies ever. <laughs> they're going sh to be the longest because you're going to have a lot of words to say, but they're going to be the shortest because you talk so dang fast. So mm -hmm. um, it's been who I am. Well, that my mind works fast. My mouth works fast. And the reality is a lot of that stems from... Um, uh, a tendency to be impatient and I am really it is it is truly something that I've struggled with over time and and the reality is when you're impatient you tend to oversimplify things you tend to uh, miss important details you tend to disregard the opinions and views of others you tend to be very focused on getting something done and not really thinking much about those around you to and what they bring to the table and being able to truly collaborate. And that was really um, something that I, that I struggled with and, and to this day struggle with. Um, you know, the reality is that impatience, there's a flip side to that vice coin and that is pride because when you're impatient, you're, the presumption is that you have the right answer and you're going in the right direction and people need to understand that you have the right answer and you're going in the right direction and, and there's a sense of pride in that and, and arrogance. Um, but I was really one who, I guess, I misinterpreted patience as being indecisive. And that impatience meant that you were just, or being impatient meant that you were driven and that you were decisive. And the reality is that's, that's not the case. And, and really, it's not helpful in life to be impatient. And it really is not helpful if you're going to be in a position to be a manager or a leader, to be impatient. Um, and so 
you know, I, it's taken, it's taken again, some wonderful leaders in my career who have been patient with me <laughs> and led by example to show me what that means. Um, and have helped me to, to, to kind of take steps along that journey and to be willing to, to be patient and to see that patience and humility are not incompatible with being decisive and being driven. Um, and that's really, again, it's a, it's a process and it's a, it's a journey I'm still on. Um, but the reality is if you, if you don't have patience, you're not going to be a good, first of all, you're not going to be a good person. You're not going to be a good employee and you're not going to be a good leader. Um, and I, I think I was fortunate that as I began to move into leadership roles, I was moving into leadership roles uh, somewhat in smaller steps. So I was, I was the leader of a research team. And so the individuals that uh, reported to me that I was managing were new to the field. And so I was really required to, if I was going to, if they were going to be successful, I needed to be able to be patient. I needed to be able to be, uh, again, listen and be willing to, to, to take feedback and be willing to kind of go walk with them in, in that journey. And so that helped me because as I got more responsibility and had a responsibility for more team members and team members that were more seasoned, who clearly also had skills they brought to the table and decisions they had to make, it became even more incumbent upon me to be able to, to do that, um, to be able to, to, to demonstrate, exhibit uh, patience in that regard. Yeah, so as you talk about teammates now, what is your span of control presently, Mark? So I have a team within my office, a central function of eight that report directly to me. Mm-hmm. And then there are, no, seven. And then there are individuals that are at each of these ministries that report to me in terms of their fundraising activity, but then they have a dotted line to the ministries that they uh, oversee or they do fundraising for. So, um, so the total team is 13. Um, but again, the individuals that are on those other teams uh, have a dotted line to the leaders of those ministries. Um, and they, and I oversee the fundraising component of their job because those leaders of, of the other ministries are responsible for the day-to-day operations and look to their fundraiser and look to my guidance of that fundraiser in, in those efforts. Yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah. if no margin, no mission. <laughs> so, right. Right. so yes. yeah, they need to, especially if they're talking about operational growth capacity to be able to, you know, talk through directly with that person to where we're at with fundraising and being able to raise the, the bar if that's what they're trying to do. Exactly. And when you say that, because that is exactly the case, I, I was fortunate to be in a field of largely healthcare fundraising that really one of the drivers of patients in that regard has been the reality of change within healthcare. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, again, I think every profession has experienced change over the past 20, 25 years. Technology itself has caused that, but there has been nothing short of a cataclysmic change in healthcare over the, that same time frame. I mean, when I entered fundraising for healthcare in the healthcare profession 25, 30 years ago, hospitals had margins that were so favorable that fundraising was relegated to you did a golf outing, you had a gala, you did some mailings, and that was the extent of fundraising. And that's really all you needed to have. But fast forward to the present day, when you have the payer mixes that we have and reimbursements being what they are, and even the best operating hospitals having slim 
operating margins. Um, now fundraising and that activity is seen as uh, the return on that investment is looked at with far more scrutiny and with far more relevance to the overall operations than, than ever before. And so you, you can't have, you can't be without having some patience to be able to be successful when you're experiencing that kind of cataclysmic change. Yeah. Well, thank you. So on the flip side of that is the virtue question. So just curious, like what virtues do you feel that you've been naturally gifted with and that you've, you've mastered? Okay. Well, mastering is <laughs> a question, but uh, <laughs> the list is longer on the, on the vices. Sure. So uh, I think even with my impatience and others, I think perseverance has been something that has really been a strong virtue that I've been able to, to master and be able to, um, to again, incorporate into my life even early on, and then hopefully continue to build on it as my responsibilities uh, evolve. When I decided not to go on in the seminary, I had a degree in history and I had to figure out what I was going to do with my life because a bachelor's in history from a seminary was not really a, a ticket to a lucrative career. So I had to <laughs> sit back and say, okay, what, what, what path am I going to take? And it began first with teaching. And then, like I said, even going to grad school. And at that point, believing I was going to pursue an academic career, and then making a decision not to and figuring out what path I needed to go on. There was definitely components of perseverance. Um, and then moving to Boston, when I took the job in Boston, I really knew I knew one person in Boston besides the person that recruited me out there. And so I pretty much had to go and figure it out. And so perseverance has been one that I really do feel that I've been able to take as a, as a virtue early on and build on as I've had different experiences. So that would be one. Um, I think my integrity, I've always been somebody who I think I pride myself on being somebody who I, I will always be a straight shooter. I will always approach you with no pretense and with no, and I will always be somebody who, again, when I, especially when I'm practicing patience, will be willing to, to say, look at, let's look at this issue together and be willing to, to take um, look at a circumstance and, and truly try to see what is the best path forward in that circumstance and, and do so with a sense of integrity and, and, and being true to myself. So that would be another, another virtue that I would, that I would say. And, and finally, I would say compassion. I've been a person who, um, I think people would say that about me just across the board that I, I truly do have strong, a strong love of humanity. I'm a overly optimistic, I'm an overall optimistic person and feel that, um, uh, you know, we are all children of God and we, we see Christ in, in each other and, and that we really do have to approach every encounter as an encounter with someone who is themselves in the image and likeness of God. And so bringing compassion to, to, to both my life at home and into my work life is something that I think would be a virtue that I, maybe not have achieved, uh, but certainly have, have, have um, tried to incorporate or feel most at ease incorporating it into my life. Awesome. Well, yeah, it was just, I was just kind of chuckling to myself thinking about 
the two vices and virtues that you discuss, like impatience and perseverance, because those are really like so critical to be able to have, because like if you are impatient, but you don't have perseverance, then in essence, you're just like, forget it. Right, right. <laughs> I'm out of it, you know, but to have that gifting and grace of perseverance to yeah. be able to overcome. And even though you feel frustrated by things not coming to fruition as fast as you may want, um, yeah. that that gift of perseverance is just another thing to be able to work through that. So, so yeah. awesome. I know you talked about um, um, the Joseph and Mary's program. Are there any other programs that you're excited about and how can people get a hold of the work that you're doing? Sure, sure. So uh, I think I mentioned this to you not too long ago. So we recently launched, um, and it really still is in the formative stage uh, at this point, um, what we're calling the St. Vincent Health Campus. So it's on the campus of St. Vincent Charity, which is the one uh, hospital that we still have within our health system. And that health campus is really going to be an endeavor that's going to focus really on what's called the social determinants of health. So it's those other factors outside of acute care that truly do impact um, a person's health. The reality is actually, Chris, that 20% of your healthcare is driven by your experiences with a healthcare provider, acute care setting, what have you. <clears throat> the other 80% of your health is driven by these what's called social determinants of health, which are everything from the type of housing you're involved, you uh, have, what is your uh, economic status, what is your level of food security, what's your access to nutritional food, uh, what, is your, what is your job, what is your employment opportunities. Um, all these factors play a significant role, 80% uh, percentage-wise, uh, in your overall health. And so this health campus that we're developing on the campus of St. Vincent Medical Center is really going to be looking to how can we establish partnerships and collaborative efforts around the community around these other issues while also focusing on uh, the acute care within, within the uh, uh, St. Vincent. So it's you know, we, you hear that term a lot, social determinants of health and population health. And that's a buzzword within healthcare. But I've said, really, the Sisters of Charity have been doing it for 170 years. They have been focusing on the whole person for the entire, their entire existence. Uh, Sister Ignatia Gavin is one of the uh, founders of Rosary Hall, which is our addiction program at St. Vincent. She is a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, with Dr. Bob and Bill W., and she basically was one of the first persons to see alcoholism as a disease and saying, we have to treat that whole person mm -hmm. if we're going to have an impact on, on their struggle with addiction. And that was in 1952. So, wow. so literally, well, again, looking at these other issues and looking at the whole person has been something that has been coming up largely because of uh, the value discussions around healthcare finances. But the reality is the sisters have been doing it for 170 years. So we're really excited about this health campus that we're just literally beginning the, uh, to embark on that's going to try to look at all these different factors in healthcare beyond, beyond acute care. And um, how can people get a hold of your health system or the work that you're doing? Sure. So they can, you know, uh, so the sistersofcharityhealthsystem.org is the, is the uh, sistersofcharityhealth.org. It's all one word, very long is the website, um, stvincentcharity.com is the website for the hospital. And uh, they can reach me um, through either the health system or the hospital. 
uh, my contact information is out there. Great. And we'll also list your LinkedIn as well uh, in the show description too, as well as those other links as well. So thank you for sharing. Uh, Mark, do you mind if I close us out in prayer? No, absolutely. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for Mark and his testimony. Um, I was just feeling, uh, Father, that while he was giving his testimony on today's show, that it just felt like you were saying that um, uh, just not necessarily like specifically uh, orphans, but like those that are struggling with the orphan spirit as in the story or in the parable of uh, um, uh, in the gospel, you talk about um, the <laughs> just a son who takes his inheritance and, and goes. And basically it's that orphan spirit that I'm talking about where, where it's the older brother who meanwhile is the whole time like not recognizing that he has the fulfillment of everything that is his father's. And that's a revelation that his father shares with him. And so father, we just break off the orphan spirit. Anyone that's uh, listening to this podcast episode that uh, we would all come into the fullness of beloved sons and daughters of God. And we, we love you father. And thank you for healing your bride and lifting us up to um, come fully into the kingdom Lord, we um, also pray and thank you for a new dosage of perseverance um, into your bride as well for all those listening, that we would just be, get that power pack of perseverance to overcome some of the vices that we can run into, like impatience that Mark spoke about today. And we break off impatience off of any of the listeners today in Jesus' name. And Father, thank you so much for this man's witness and testimony Um, for being able to share and be candid and vulnerable to share with our listeners today um, just about, uh, you know, uh, growing up, um, having been adopted at a young age. And uh, thank you so much. We look forward to being able to build our relationship and uh, being able to work in the vineyard to build up the kingdom and to impact all those that we encounter. And we pray all of this through the mighty name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Chris. And thanks for the great work that you do. I mean, this is a wonderful, a wonderful forum to, to again, take business and, and faith and really see how, how they, how they uh, intertwine and how they really are part and parcel of each other. So it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, God bless you, my friend. Look forward to continuing the dialogue with you. Wonderful. Thank you. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. (laughs) Just joking. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.